If you, unless you've just returned from uh, a deserted island uh, with your uh, basketball Wilson, you may have undoubtedly be aware that, that we live in a world where there is a lot of news and information floating around. Social media, blogs, uh, YouTube channels, uh, 24-hour news services, apps designed exclusively for pushing through different news feeds. There is a lot of information coming our way. What you may have also noticed is that the noise to signal ratio is shifting as well. That the amount of noise is going up, but, but the accuracy of the signal isn't necessarily getting any better. In fact, you used to have to go and study journalism for multiple years. You used to have to line up to get a job in a journalistic environment. You used to have to then rise up from the, the mail room to actually getting some level of uh, platform in the newspaper or on, or on the news channel. You used to have to do all of that before you had a platform to broadcast your opinion on things. Now you can be completely unqualified. And in fact, you can be completely uninformed and still broadcast your opinion to, to an unsuspecting public. It's a very, very fascinating age that we live in. And, and, and a lot of what we get in the form of news is either diluted, which means it's watered down, or polluted, which means it's added to by opinions and agendas. And it's difficult in the context of, of, of having all this information coming our way to truly cut through what's true and what's not. There's a whole new thing floating around and it's gone from everything from the, the up, upper echelons of political power to the upper echelons of the technology companies, this, this pandemic of fake news. Not just stupid opinions, though that's pandemic. <laughs> but actual news stories that are being pushed out into the wild that were never true to begin with. And uh, you and I have the unenviable task of trying to sift through all of this news, all of this noise, and try to figure out what's true and what's not, what's correct and what's not. Louis and I, uh, as maybe some of you did, we, in the leading up to the uh, US uh, presidential elections, we would, we would often talk about that. Just out of interest, we weren't registered voters. Um, and uh, Louis, she likes a good conspiracy theory. She does. And uh, she, she'd often come home from work and say, babe, did you hear about this? And she'd tell me this story. And I think to myself, I actually didn't hear about that. How, how, how interesting. And I'd, I'd say the same thing to her every time. Sweetheart, what was the source? Now, the source could have been her colleague. Immediate, ah, delete. Uh, the source could be a news, a news uh, 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 channel, but, but different news channels even have their own agendas as to why and how and the ways. So I said, what's the source? That was Super Steve, and for the next 23 minutes, he's not super. <laughs> Officially demoted from the platform. Hey, uh, open your Elevate app if you've got it. If you, if you haven't, you can quickly download it and tap the Bible uh, tile and it'll take you to a letter that Paul, Paul is uh, who I call is uh, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the early church. Uh, he wrote a series of letters to churches that he actually was instrumental in launching in the first place. And this will take you to his second letter to a church in a part of Greece called Corinth. 
And uh, he was writing to them because there was actually some fake news going on about him. He'd been through some very challenging situations, uh, experienced a lot of opposition, a lot of confrontation, a lot of very, very, very difficult circumstances. And whilst he was kind of uh, experiencing all these uh, troubles, some other preachers took the opportunity to start trying to throw some shade on Paul, to start trying to discredit him and spread some fake news about him. See, fake news is not new. It, it, it was happening in Paul's time. And, and while he was away, well, this stuff going on and people spreading this fake news about him, which by the way is, 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 is almost incomprehensible when you know his life story is, is that he was, he was on the, the correct side of the law at the time and he gave that up to, having met with Jesus and he went to the incorrect side of the law and purely and simply because the only thing he chose to do in his life from that point on was preach about Jesus, he, he, he faced opposition like never before. And, 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 and that was his biggest crime, preaching about Jesus, launching churches, raising up leaders. And so he decided he was gonna write a letter to them and correct some of the news stories to, to, to say, guys, consider the source of your information because where you get your information from really does matter. So I'm gonna write to you and I'm, we're gonna set the record straight because everything you've heard is not all true. And so here goes. So this second letter he writes, and this is early on, he, he, he writes this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us again. It's on Him that we've set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. And all I wanna do today is just unpack this a little bit. Let me start right at the top. We do not want you to be uninformed. A couple of months ago, Denzel Washington uh, on the red carpet, a uh, particular event, was, was interviewed by a group of uh, press and, and they asked him, you know, what do you think of the, of the current state of the media? This is the media asking him, like, okay, I admire the fact that they at least want someone to know because, you know, and he said, well, actually, uh, if you read the newspapers, you're misinformed. And if you don't read the newspapers, you're uninformed. <laughs> There's a dark side to both of those things. And so Paul's talking about these people and, and, and saying to them that I don't want you to be uninformed. What information you take on and where it comes from really does matter. Interestingly though, in some other versions, this version is the New International Version, in some other versions, this word uninformed uh, is replaced by the word ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, another one, a version says, I don't want you to be in the dark. 
I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be in the dark. In other words, like Denzel said, being uninformed or misinformed, both have troubling consequences. Think about this, by the way, sometimes it's better to be uninformed than misinformed because misinformed people think that they're running around with the truth and they're building a life on things that aren't true. At least uninformed people are just, you might as well stick them on a desert island, they're not gonna hurt anybody. That's not true either, by the way. That's fake news. Um, so Paul, so Paul, Paul is saying, we don't want you to be misinformed or uninformed. I want to tell you the truth. I wanna set the record straight. The story's about me. Guess what? The story's about me. I was there. I'll give you the eyewitness account. In fact, not only the eyewitness account, I'll give you the first person account. So he writes, we were under great pressure. Anybody ever been under great pressure? Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. So, you know, you're like Paul, y'all. You've been under great pressure. It's fine. It's not, you're not the first. Nor was Paul. He, he said the pressure that we were under was far beyond our ability to endure. Anyone ever been under so much pressure or opposition that you felt like, man, I don't know if I can do this on my own? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, preaching to six people this morning. That's great. All right, it's better than five. I wish it was 70, like all of you. But okay, if some of you had this cushy, marshmallow-filled life, God bless you. Um, but... but, but but his wasn't a lettuce and tomato version of pressure. He said that actually we had so much pressure, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we, we, we thought we'd received the sentence of death. It's a lot of pressure. And so Paul, in that very concise description, was giving them insights to just the, the magnitude of the persecution that they'd faced, the, the, the enormity of the pressure they were under. This wasn't somebody that said something a little bit nasty about us over the coffee shop. This was like, we might not live through this kind of pressure. And, 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 and I'll set this up, is that, is that he said all this, this is kind of a spoiler. <laughs> he said all this because he's about to tell them not just what happened, but about how they responded to what happens. Because here's the thing, there is situations in life that you do have and will have little or no control over. And yeah, for you control freaks, you hate that, but it's still true whether you hate it or not that there's gonna be things that happen to you that you didn't cause, you didn't vote for, you didn't apply for, you didn't open your front door and invite them in, but they're gonna come your way anyway. And they're not all gonna be great gifts dropped on your doorstep. And whilst we don't always have control over the things that come into our life or come at us in life, we always have control over how we respond. It's one of the things that distinguishes you and I from a Labrador. Oh my, okay. He, in, in, in just 14 minutes, he's gone from Super Steve to Steve. He's now not very Super Steve. Formerly the official bike supplier to Elevate Church. Um, <laughs> Thank you. 
In fact, Paul is about to make the point to them that how you respond makes all the difference. You can have two people facing the exact same set of circumstances, but based on their response, that's gonna be the difference. Paul says we're under great pressure, we were overwhelmed. We were facing circumstances far beyond our ability to endure, we were hurting. We despaired of life itself, we're desperate. Some of you may have even been told that you're not meant to say the word desperate in church. Well, someone said it in the Bible, Probably okay to say it but, it, but but it's not okay to leave it there because in all of this, Paul is saying we were overwhelmed but not nervous. We were hurting but not nervous. We were desperate but not nervous. And chances are, some of you, when you've faced difficult circumstances, you've tried nervous. Your, your default response has been nervous. Anyone, anyone ever tried nervous? Okay, uh, just don't have to put your hands up, but how'd that work for you? How'd that go? How, how did that change things? Because here's the thing, it probably did change things, but I very much doubt it changed them for the better. I suspect it made you more depressed. I suspect it made you more anxious. I suspect it, in some cases it probably made you more angry. Because the thing about nervous is nervous corrodes. It's like the battery in the remote control that you forgot about and three years later when you take it out, the battery is in there, but it's, just, it's corroded from the inside out. That's what nervous does. It changes things, but very rarely for the better. Nervous doesn't just corrode, nervous erodes. If you're nervous in a relationship with someone, and I don't just mean boy, girl, husband, wife, parent, child, although it includes that, but it, but it could be boss. You've got this nervous relationship because your boss is a moron and they're not treating you well. Or maybe you are the boss and maybe you're the moron and, you're, and your staff are walking around feeling nervous because you haven't done what it, what it takes to create this confidence that's, that, that should be in them. And so nervous, nervous, nervous erodes. You know nervous people, you don't like to ask them how they're going. Because the response is just like, woo! Oh, need a shower after that. And it's not because you don't care, it's just because it's like nervous. You can't build a life on nervous. You can't build a marriage on nervous. You can't build a business on nervous. You can't build anything on nervous. And so Paul in this life-threatening situations, wasn't nervous. Do you know that you can be burdened, but not nervous? Do you know that you can lose your job and yet not be nervous? You know you can have people let you down and yet not be nervous? Do you know you can be broke and not be nervous? By the way, little sidebar here, there is a difference between being broke and being poor. Being broke is a state of your wallet. Being poor is a state of your heart. Poor is a perspective. You can be broke and know that God's the source and that He's gonna restore some things to you and He's gonna provide even when your back's against the wall. And that's actually why you can be broke and not nervous. Been there. Bill comes in. <laughs> Yep, okay. Don't currently have the money for that, but I'm not nervous. 
Really? Yep. People talking bad about me. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but I'm not nervous. Oh man, sucks that you lost your job. Hate, hate, oh man, that's terrible. That's okay, I know, but I'm not nervous. <laughs> and then, that's easy. Like, by, by the way, that's the easy part. You just say that. Oh, but I'm not nervous. Religious cliches, I'm not nervous. And, and, then they, and then they do this thing that makes that statement a little bit difficult. They ask you, how come you're not nervous? And all of a sudden, you've got to give them an answer. And you can throw out this, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, he'll deliver us again. Well, yeah, if that's all you throw out there, it sounds like a bit of a, a political campaign slogan. In, in fact, I'm thinking of using it as a political campaign slogan myself. I've got this uh, hat uh, done up. And... Um, I think it works. I, it's, it's like it's never been done before. <laughs> Just so you know, it was much easier to Photoshop my face onto that than when Barack Obama was the president. So uh, we, we've had to wait eight years. We've had to wait eight years to use that gag. So uh, anyway, thank you, Mercy. You saw that one coming. All right, let's get back to the Bible. Enough of this uh, shilly-shallying. So why weren't they nervous facing these seemingly life-threatening situations? Well, actually, you, you, you back it up to the sentence before that, Paul said that we made the decision that our response to the circumstances, our response is that we decided that we were not going to rely on ourselves. That could be a game changer for some of you right there. But on God. And guess what's right high up on his CV? He raises the dead. See, Paul didn't place his hope on things that the world could give. And so because he didn't place his hope on things that the world could give, the world couldn't take him away. He didn't place his hope on the Liberal Party and he didn't place his hope on the Labour Party. He didn't place his hope on the economy so that when the economy goes up, his hope didn't rise. And when the economy goes down, his hope didn't plummet. He didn't place his hope on great circumstances so that when you're filled and your life is filled with great circumstances and you've got no opposition and no challenges and no tough situations and you don't even know, you can't even remember what the valley was like because you're a mountaintop man and you're in the mountaintop season of your life. And your hope's up, but then you find yourself in the valley, your hope goes down. No, if you don't place your hope in circumstances, that's not how your hope drifts. It doesn't peak and flow when your circumstances peak and flow. Paul and his cohorts chose to place their hope, not in themselves, not in circumstances, not in the economy, not in the rulers of the day, but in God and not just any God, because at the time there was a lot to choose from. <laughs> there was a sizzler's smorgasbord amount of gods in Corinth. And they were all given equal kind of place. They all had sort of, you know, different superpowers, but they all had superpowers. And Paul said, yeah, yeah, okay. But we're placing our hope in the God whose superpower 
is raising the dead. It's a pretty smart response. Because if you and I get nervous about the same things that our friends who have not yet decided to follow Jesus get nervous about, then you gotta ask yourself the question, are you placing your hope in the same things that your friends who haven't yet decided to follow Jesus yet are placing their hope in? Or because you've decided to follow Jesus, you've reoriented your response to challenging circumstances that now you respond in all situations, good, bad, mountaintop, valley, by placing your hope in a God who raises from the dead. Are you just as nervous about the economy as your next door neighbour? Are you just as nervous about the doctor's report as the person in the waiting room next to you? Are you just as nervous about your child's future as your cousin who's not a follower of Jesus yet? How about the music team coming up? Just for the record though, uh, still you're gonna need to do some furniture removing too. Just before we move on, I wanna make sure that you understand this. There is a difference between confidence and complacency, okay? When I'm talking about I know, but I'm not nervous, I'm not talking about there's no requirement of us to be active with our faith. Because hope, I taught this last week, hope is both a noun, it's something we have, and it's a verb, it's something we do. We have hope and we do hope. Paul wasn't saying about his circumstances, I know, but I don't care. That's ignorance and, and nothing's gonna change if, if you're complacent about things. Uh, Louisa, my wife, she's uh, started a job this year teaching primary school. She's got year fives and uh, she's in a mixed uh, socioeconomic area. And uh, so she's facing some challenges, not just as a first year teacher, but just in some of the dynamics that she has in her classroom. She came home on Tuesday <laughs> and, uh, and, and kind of slumped in the couch. And she said, uh, some of my boys, and she said, and I, know, I know they're boys. Some of my boys in my classroom are bullying each other. And I, and I just don't know what to do about it. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss as a teacher. She says, and I work all through the day to get these boys in there. I mean, Louis, Louisa goes into her classroom. The classroom opens at 8.20. She arrives at 7 a.m. And the first thing she does is she goes around and prays over every single desk, over every single seat. Before she even started the school year, she took in some of our extra virgin olive oil and she anointed each of those bloody wogs, each of those desks and tables and, and declared God's promises and God's... This is, a, this is a public school. You can't tell her headmaster that she did all of this, right? She actually broke the law. She didn't wanna teach in her own strength and she didn't just want those public school kids to be able to access the same power as the kids in the next classroom. And her headmaster, by the way, often comes through and she goes, boy, Louise, I don't know what you've done in here, but this classroom feels so different to the other ones. And she's like, 
I can't explain it either. Hide the olive oil. They expected her to have olive oil. She's Italian. And, uh, and she said to me, I work with these boys during the day and, 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 and by, towards the end of the day, they're, 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 on their, they're, they're phenomenal. And then there's a couple of them that they go home and their parents just jank them up, just unravel all of the good work I've done. And then those couple of kids come back the next day and they are so unhinged that I've got to start the whole process over again. And she said, so I gotta tell you, I'm more committed than ever and we need to be more committed than ever to build into our Elevate kids here that even regardless of what their home situation looks like, that they'll know that Jesus loves them, that they'll know their Bible and they live their, their Bi- the, the Bible pattern for their lives in every situation of life. And the same goes for Elevate Youth and, and we've got to reach more of these kids and, and see, uh, the kids are bullying, I know, but I don't care. No, we really care. We care for their present and we care for their future. It's not about being disengaged. If you're sick, see a doctor. Trust that God uses doctors, He does. If you're wanting to get out of debt, do a budget. Trust that God actually uses the financial principles that He set in motion from the beginning of time. If your marriage is struggling, see a Christian counsellor. If you're unemployed, guess what? Your new full-time job is looking for a full-time job not watching Netflix and gaming, unless that's your job. Somehow you wanna work for Netflix or Nintendo. You gotta do your part, but not be nervous. And I said right at the beginning that I believed that this morning, just hearing where your hope comes from, that you can, even in the most challenging of circumstances, where, where you're facing despair, where you're facing things that you know you can't handle, that you'll learn this morning, you'll be reminded this morning. This will be breaking news for some of you this morning, that the best response that you can do in each and every circumstance is put your hope in the God who raises the dead. That nothing in your life has greater power over your life than death. And yet, God's even got that one covered. And so this morning, we're gonna, and by the way, I've tried as hard as I could in my head to avoid saying this, but a song that we sang earlier, we're gonna do it again. And it's called, Do It Again. And we're gonna stand right now, please, on your feet, because this is gonna be a declaration for some of you, because you knew this coming in. You knew that you faced a God that could do it again, but you just needed to be reminded. But some of you, this is breaking news. And so you make this something like, God, thank you for revealing to me that you are a God who raises the dead, that you're a God who's done it before, and you'll do it again. When my friends spoke poorly of me before, somehow, God, you got me through that. When my, when my friends let me down before, somehow, God, you got me through that, and you'll do it again. When I lost my job before, you got me through that, and you'll do it again. When I got a bad doctor's report before, you got me through that, and you'll do it again. When I didn't have the money to pay that bill, you got me through that, and you provided, and you'll do it again. Whatever the situation, it's the different circumstance, but it's the same God. 